Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From movie set to multiplex, it's the business of film with James Cameron Wilson. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Hey, Stella! If you build it, you will come. Here's Johnny! And here's James, because James Cameron Wilson has arrived to talk about the business of film. I'm Simon Rose, keen as ever to find out what's been happening at the UK box office and what we should, or indeed should not, be seeing. Indeed, I have good news and I have bad news. So I will go with the cliche and give you the <laughs> bad news first. Thank you. Last week's top 10 was 23.9% down over the previous weekend. But we have had two very jolly weekends. The, the cinema has been looking very mm. healthy. However, this is the good news. 2022 was 63% up over the previous year. Now, don't say, well, there was a pandemic, but at least look on the bright <laughs> side. Obviously, this the was still below. Optimists. Yeah, it was still below pre-pandemic levels. Don't you hate a pandemic? Uh, yes, you do, and you just hope they don't they don't behave like buses. So there's not another oh, two or God three don't. in the in the in the offing. Um, one should probably also mention, of course, that, that View Cinema is, is is contemplating making a bid for Cineworld. Um, whether it happens or not, I don't know, but I did see that in the press this week. So we'll talk about the business of film. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to look at what is in the chart, James. So well, where... last weekend at number one, as in the previous weekend, we have Puss in Boots. The Last Wish, mm -hmm. with Antonio Banderas as Puss and Salma Hayek Pillow in support. Is that the one and... you said was migraine inducing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, uh, right. I couldn't have put it better myself. Well, I you did. did. That is exactly what you put. That, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, this amazingly was nominated for an Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Mm -hmm. But I would like to talk later in the show about a film that I feel should win the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Because I was, Puss in Boots, yeah, it was migraine-inducing. And I wasn't overly impressed with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio either, mm. which I believe you've now seen. I've seen some of it. I got very some bored. Well, there you go. So I, I want to talk about a film later on. So at okay. number two, we do have a new film. Well, I should mm. say how much Puss in Boots made. It made £3.1 million last weekend, down 38% for a total now for 9.2 million quid in this country. And talking of Sama Hayek Pino, we've got another of her films at number two called Magic Mike's Last Dance. The first I heard that there was going to be another Magic Mike film was when Tandwi Newton had a very public emotional meltdown on set and to put it politely, was replaced for personal reasons. 
Then an actress seven years her senior was brought in at a moment's notice to play the female lead. And you really cannot see the cracks in the finished film. Tandwee's replacement is Salma Hayek, who shares equal billing with Channing Tatum on the poster. The latter being the only original member of the cast to return for this third outing in the Magic Mike franchise. And I suspect by no means the last. Channing Tatum, as Mike Lane, is now working as a bartender for fundraising events in Miami and appears to be drifting on autopilot. Then the woman hosting the event, Maxandra Mendoza, Salma Hayek, invites him up to her place and asks him to give her a private dance. He demurs. He doesn't do this sort of thing anymore. But when she agrees to pay his asking price of six grand for a single dance, he decides to give her her money's worth right there and then. It's a torrid, intimate act. And considering that Mike Lane has been working behind a bar all day in the Miami sun, I felt he might have <laughs> asked to freshen up briefly before pushing his armpits into Salma's face. Okay. I, I, I do worry about these things. Be that as it may, Maxandra doesn't seem to mind and then offers him 60000 to accompany her on a four-week trip to London, where she lives. Hmm. But she won't say why. But with all expenses paid and a butler at his beck and call, not to mention some upmarket shopping, Mike goes along for the ride. He nor we know what Maxandra has up her sleeve. We do not know. And for a while, that does keep our interest piqued. Although for anybody who's seen Magic Mike and the sequel, might guess that it has something to do with Channing Tatum taking his top off again. Right. I did enjoy these sequences, particularly the interaction between Mike and his butler, Victor, and Maxandra's precocious teenage daughter, Zadie, played by Jamelia George. The latter tells Mike that she's writing a novel. What's it about, he asks. About 40 pages, she reckons. <laughs> now, I thought the first Magic Mike, released 11 years ago, was pretty shallow but enjoyable enough on a very superficial level. Mm. And I actually enjoyed Magic Mike XXL, released in 2015. The first one was directed by Steven Soderbergh, he who brought us Sex, Lies <laughs> and Videotape, all in yes. lowercase, Out mm. of Sight with Jennifer Lopez, Erin mm. Brockovich, Traffic, for which he won the Oscar for Best Director, Ocean's Eleven, and Contagion, so he's got a pretty good track record. So one does have to ask oneself why he's slumming it with the sequel to a sequel, although, of course, he did direct Ocean's 12 and Ocean's 13. A man's got to work, I suppose. Here, the formula... No, no, he did, didn't he not once say he was giving up? He did. He did retire he for did. about two yes, years. Yeah. You're yeah. absolutely right. Um, but he's working as hard as ever. Which is extraordinary, because he's one of the most experimental directors working in America today. So it's very interesting that he's doing Magic yes. Mike's last dance. So how does it compare to the other two? So I saw the first one. I didn't really want to see the, the, the one after that, which I remember the, the, a, a press preview with um, actual dancers came on at the beginning, which certainly cheered up many of the female members of the audience. Yeah, I, I thought the second one was much better, actually. Mm. 
I, I thought it had more detail, more nuance. Uh, the characters were fleshed out. And so I was engaged with it more. Here, the formula remains the same, although Soderbergh, who also edited and photographed the film under pseudonyms, does bring a spontaneity to the proceedings, which gives it a freshness and a rich seam of humour. The other thing that struck me about the film was that I didn't recognise a single member of the supporting cast, except for Marcus Brigstock, who I'm not sure <laughs> even had a line of dialogue, but he's just there on a couple of occasions. So the lion's share of the limelight rests on the shoulders of Channing Tatum and Salma Hayek, or Salma Hayek, mm. Salma Hayek, you know, as she's now known. And they both acquit themselves ably. It's good, too, to see a woman of 56 cast opposite of man of 42. Not that the yeah. age distance really registers. And that's a categorically good thing in this day and age, I think. For what it was, I enjoyed Magic Mike's Last Dance. I may even have surprised myself, considering my expectations. And I think the core audience, viewers who enjoy seeing astonishingly well-toned men with their shirts off performing mm. some spectacular moves, will not be disappointed. Okay, James, perhaps that's a good moment for us to uh, take a break. But we'll be back looking at the rest of the chart in just a moment. Sharing ideas about money. This is Share Radio. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Simon Rose with The Business of Film. James Cameron Wilson is taking us through the box office chart. We've just been talking about Magic Mike 3, Magic Mike's Last Dance. Um, so where do we go now, James? Well, we have a James Cameron film at number three, which is a reissue, a film called Titanic, which made oh, 871,000 wow. quid. That is 28,000 and a half pounds ahead of James Cameron's next film in our chart, <laughs> Avatar The Way of Water, which is down from number two, down 36%, now with a total of £74.3 million. It's now the 13th highest grossing film of all time in the UK and Ireland. Extraordinary. And yet, I, I have not gone. I took your advice, really, and stayed away. But whenever I come across somebody who has seen it, I'm not hearing anything positive. No, no, nor, nor, nor I. But it's now overtaken Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 and is snapping at the heels of Toy Story 3, which it's probably already overtaken as we speak. Mm -hmm. So James Cameron now has three of the highest grossing films of all time in the top four. You mentioned that last week and I was able to say that to somebody else and impress them with my incredible knowledge. I didn't tell them where I got the information. But when you think that Titanic, considering... It's, we're talking billions here, mm. Has is only £28,548 ahead of Avatar The Way of Water. And it's now back in the chart. That's Those are impressive <laughs> figures. Mm. 
Moving on, at number five, we've got Knock at the Cabin, which is M. Night Shyamalan's ridiculous apocalyptic thriller, down 46%, with Dave Bautista and Rupert Grint, I should mention, Mm -hmm. with a total of £2,020,000. At number six, we've got the best film in the chart, The Whale, Darren Aronofsky's extraordinary heartfelt story of a man trapped in a morbidly obese body played by Brendan Fraser who was nominated for an Oscar for So what the role. Did, what did it what did it take that not bad for what i suppose is an art housey film It's now got a total of 1.4 million pounds mm. after 2 weeks down 45% which is a shame Also mm-hmm. down 45% is plain just plain plain at number 7 which was at number 6 with Gerald Butler which i thought was a, a gripping romp and thoroughly enjoyed so i'm now, planning a... on going to see definitely because after your review well, i games. hope you get yeah i hope i hope you know as little about it as i did when i went to see it it's it's hard to avoid absolutely everything but i'm trying my best okay thank you and it's now made just under 3 million pounds at number 8 we've got wow pathan a Hindi action thriller, which has broken records, down 60%, but with a total of 3.9 million quid. It's now the highest grossing Indian film ever in the UK. Mm. We have a new film at number nine, Epic Tales, a.k.a. Argo Nuts, elsewhere, about a mouse called Patty and her adopted cat, Sam, who aid Jason and his Argonauts in ancient mm. Greece, with vocals by Rob Beckett, and Josh Widdicombe. <laughs> uh, right. Number 10. Okay. Well, it's, yeah, it's not English. At number 10, we've got The Fablemans, which was at number seven, which is Steven Spielberg's autobiographical tale of his youth, which has now got £2.8 million in the bank. And I would like to point out, it's not in the chart anymore, A Man Called Otto. Because I've still got friends who are thanking me for making them go out of their way and find it and saying how much they loved it. Yes, I thought it was a really super movie. Of course, I, I would like to see the Swedish one again to try and compare, but I can't, I can't find it on any of the streaming services I subscribe to. Uh, however, we are going to get a storm called Otto this weekend, so that might actually dent the chances of seeing a film called Otto, oh, a man oh. called Otto. Yeah, when I've got a storm called Otto, apparently. A storm called Otto, okay. Yes, which is also the name of my grandson. Very bizarre. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but our listeners, uh, I do know, but our listeners might not know about your grandson, Otto. <laughs> no. Well, it just seems such a bizarre name, and suddenly there's a storm and a film and him. It just seems very peculiar. Right. So that uh, still around to be seen, clearly, becomes more difficult if you further away from the big city centres, I suppose. But yes. Otto um, permitting. So what would you like to talk about now? I'd like to talk about a new streaming film with the aforementioned Jennifer Lopez, which is on Prime Video. On paper, Shotgun Wedding looks like a very black comedy, but its hue is strictly more beige than black, and there are no laughs. To give you an idea of the quality of wit on show, there's a line delivered by a plaintiff wedding guest. I'm a Gemini. I bruise easily. Huh? I suppose as a non-secretor, and if delivered with some befuddled panache, it might have raised a smile in another film. But here it just adds to the overall inanity. 
you know you're in trouble when the score bends over backwards to remind you that this is a comedy. It's either funny or it isn't. You don't need jocular music to tell you when to laugh. Last week, I watched the documentary The Great Buster, A Celebration, again. And again, I was reminded how timeless great comedy is. Buster Keaton was a genius because he allowed the viewer to second-guess him, and then he double-crossed them. He was always one step ahead of the game. But here we have Jennifer Lopez, who occasionally reminds us what a terrific actress she is, as in Hustlers, and Mm. indeed in the rom-com Marry Me, which I really liked because it was smart and kind of sweet. I I love rom-coms, but Shotgun Wedding is dumb. The best joke is the title because the film is about a wedding and there are shotguns. Mm. At least there are an abundance of semi-automatics and assault rifles, if no actual shotguns. And it's not a shotgun wedding as as such, as J-Lo isn't pregnant and her character Darcy and the groom Tom, played by Josh Duhamel, have been a couple for four years. So that's all the wit you're going to get is the title. Sorry. To mm. encapsulate, Darcy is the daughter of a millionaire played by Cheech Marin and is going to be married on a luxurious island in the Philippines with all the couple's nearest and dearest flown out for the occasion. On the big day, she and Tom have a flaming row because she didn't want a big wedding, but he thought a big wedding would showcase his love for her. And even at the last minute, he's making little romantic gestures, which she's not interested in. So as the guests are assembling, she hands back her ring, and we think the wedding is done for before it has even started. What could possibly change the tide of events? Well, the scriptwriter Mark Hammer, in an effort to avoid the humdrum romantics of the equally awful Ticket to Paradise, also about a wedding on a tropical island with a lot of bickering, has a task force of pirates invade the island and take all the guests hostage at gunpoint, caring little about who they shoot. Besides all the human improbabilities, there is a scene in which the rotor blades of a helicopter get caught up in a hang glider, crashing into the sea, whereupon the chopper explodes in a ball of flame. Now, I don't have a wildly technical or practical mind, but I really couldn't understand the physical dynamics of the explosion. So I rang up an engineer friend of mine who said it was, well, it was impossible. So on every level, shotgun wedding doesn't make sense. As an interjection, you know how many times we see cars explode in movies, but apparently that is also unrealistic. But, you know, it's just one of those um, uh, cinema cliches. I saw the trailer for this, James, and it did not make me want to see the film. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, exactly the opposite. So I'm glad to be right. Let me do you all a favour and save you precious time being wasted on such. So in other words, a comedy thriller is neither comic nor thrilling. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Right. But what are you going to tell us about now? We still have some time left. Well... When this was nominated for an Oscar for Best Animated Film, and having been so disappointed by Pinocchio and, indeed, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, I decided to give The Sea Beast 
A Look, which is available on Netflix. I re I recently went to a storytelling event put on in an old mill and in which the seating area was so packed with children that many were forced to sit on the ground and on the stairway at the back. All so that they could listen to one woman telling fables from Israel, Spain and Wales. I mention this as there is a scene in The Sea Beast in which our heroine, the young orphan Maisie, reads stories of daring do to her fellow inmates. Maisie is the daughter of monster hunters who were both killed in the line of duty, and she treasures her book, packed with stories of heroism and unthinkable beasts of the ocean. It's The book is called Tales of Captain Crow and the Inevitable, the name of the latter's ship, and it fills Maisie with wonder which she passes on to her fellow orphans. The scene where they are gathered around her, their upturned faces reflected in the candlelight and luminescent in anticipation, sums up the power of storytelling, an art form that we have largely lost, replaced by the immediacy of frenetic streaming images, the kind we get in Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. The Sea Beast is a whole different story, a narrative in which Maisie finds herself centre stage when she stows away on the inevitable, the ship, to live out the adventures that her parents were denied. The storytelling scene and the striking opening of the film in which a young boy surfaces from the sea and clings to a few planks of wood are miraculously evoked, making the most of what I still look on as a magical form of technology. I think The Sea Beast, written, produced and directed by Chris Williams, who brought us Big Hero 6, utilises some of the best computer-generated animation I have ever seen, bringing real weight to inanimate objects and bringing all the other elements, particularly water, mm. raging to life. But there is so much more to the film that makes it special from Mark Mancina's rousing, evocative score, which I want a copy of, to Richard King's immersive sound design, and a script that revels in the maritime language of the time, some of which I didn't know and I had to look up, but I think that's terrific, teaching children new words mm, yes, from a bygone yes, yes. era. Yes. And well, that's yes, the right new words. Children often learn new words, but you well, always it, want them yeah, to. The yes. right new words. <laughs> and that's before you even get to the characters and the storyline. It's hard to resist the presence of a plucky, rebellious young girl who holds her own against the adults, not to mention a whole range of marine monsters, some less scary than others. When Maisie finds herself trapped in a jungle clearing full of eggs, she is already clutching a little critter that she is determined to keep as a pet. But a sailor from the inevitable, the ship, has some experience of such creatures and warns her that pets will lay eggs in your mouth that hatch and burst out through your chest cavity. To which Maisie replies, that is so specific. <laughs> so the film is packed with something for everyone. There are allusions to other movies. But I think it will appeal to fans of Pirates of the Caribbean as well as devotees of monster movies. But it's also a surprisingly moving tale with a very pertinent message about our place in the world and the damage we are doing 
just to allay our own misplaced fears. And had the Sea Beast not been nominated for an Oscar, I probably wouldn't have seen it. But it really is wonderful mm. on every level. And presumably you'd rather that one than um, Puss in Boots. Oh, I'd be so happy if it won, because I think Chris yeah. Williams is a real genius. And oh. it, it's funny, it's moving, uh, and everything works in unison to make it a rousing piece of exceptional entertainment. Well, how lovely, James. Um, well, thank you very much indeed. So, um, people, if they wish, should go to Magic Mike's Last Dance, which clearly, if, if you, know, you know what you're getting, and it's good of its type, but um, you would rather that everybody have a look at uh, The Sea Beast, which is available, I think so that's on Netflix, is that right? It is on Netflix as we speak, yeah. James, thank you very much indeed. James Cameron Wilson will be back with more of The Business of Film at the same time next week. That's it, though, from me, Simon Rose. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Houston, we have a problem. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? 